James chapter five. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter five. And while you're turning there, just wanna let you know about a couple of things going on at Coastal. First of all, next Sunday after the second service, we are going to be have a training for our Coastal Kids ministry. So if you are currently serving in Coastal Kids, we'd love for you to be there. And if you are interested in serving in Coastal Kids, we definitely want you to be there. Uh, guys, this is such a vital ministry here at Coastal. Our kids ministry has not only been a tremendous blessing to me and to my family, but guys, it's such an important ministry. It's an opportunity to invest in these children and to love on them. So if you're interested in serving in Coastal Kids, this is a great need that we have, especially as we're going to three services and we're approaching the new building. If you're not serving anywhere, let me strongly encourage you to consider serving in Coastal Kids. And I've heard Bethany say many times that it's not just if you love kids, but it's also, yes, we want you to love kids, but it's also about loving the parents and loving the idea that a parent can come in and get a chance to hear the gospel in the service while they know that their kids are being cared for well and being taught the gospel in the back. So if you are interested in serving in Coastal Kids, let me encourage you very strongly, be at this training next week. You can write that on your Connect card. We'd love to get you more information. And next, I don't have a slide for this one, but just wanna put this on your radar, that our night of prayer service, it's a Sunday evening, August 28th. We're gonna be having baptisms at that service. So if you are interested in being baptized, you can write that on your connect card. You can sign up online, or you can just let one of us know after the service. I would love it if you would take that step of obedience at our night of prayer service in being baptized. All righty, James chapter five. This morning, I want to talk to you about something that you're not going to want to talk about. Just going to be real with you. You know, let's say it's Saturday night and I send out a mass email to all of Coastal Gloucester and say, hey guys, what do you want me to preach on tomorrow? Now, first of all, you should be very concerned uh, if you get that email. Uh, and second of all, I don't think what we're gonna talk about today is gonna make the top 10. You know, um, some people are gonna say, oh, you know what, let's talk about marriage because my spouse is a bonehead and they really need to hear that. Some of my theology nerds are gonna be like, oh, I know, predestination, let's go. I think a lot of you are gonna be like, revelation. Let's go there. Just go to the end of the book. Let's knock it out. But I guarantee you that money, I don't think it's cracking the top 10. Uh, it's almost a stereotype among those who don't go to church. You know what it is? Like, oh, when I go to church, they just want to talk about money. The church is just after my money. And so it can be kind of an awkward thing for us to talk about at church. In fact, let me tell you the story about the first time I ever came to Coastal. Uh, so we're going back to August, uh, no, to, to February of 2014. We're in the Grafton building right across from the Harley Davidson. And so I walk in and I'm si I sit down and this guy gets up and says, hey, listen, Pastor Sean has come down with a stomach flu very last minute. We didn't have a backup plan. So we're gonna play this video sermon of Matt Chandler preaching on the prodigal son. And you know, if you guys that have heard my testimony, that was providential because I had a prodigal son story. And as I heard that sermon, I gave my life to Christ and I started coming to Coastal. And it's this great heartwarming story but years later, I got to talk to Pastor Sean and find out what he was going to preach on that Sunday. Anybody want to guess what it was? Tithing. Now, a couple of things I take away from that. First of all, thank you, Lord, for sparing me this morning. Uh, and second of all, the Lord certainly could have saved my soul through a sermon on tithing. But here's the point, all joking aside here. Why do we need to talk about money in church? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is... 
there your heart will be also. Our money and the way that we spend it reveals something about where our heart is with God. So this morning, I wanna talk to you from James chapter five about the dangers of wealth. And now, even as I say that, I wanna be quick to say, the Bible does not condemn wealth in and of itself. In fact, in many places, it's treated as a blessing. Scripture says that God has given us material blessings to enjoy, and we should receive them with thanksgiving. But what the Bible does do is it warns about the dangers of wealth, about the temptations that come with wealth, and it condemns the abuses of wealth. So what I'd like to do this morning is show you four ways that our wealth can be dangerous and that it can be abused and learn a biblical perspective on how we can use our money for the glory of God. So let me give you the main point of our sermon this morning. Followers of Jesus must guard against the temptations that wealth brings, but instead be wise and generous stewards. With that in mind, let's look at the word of God together. James chapter five, verses one to six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Even when it challenges and convicts us, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray now, O Lord, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word this morning, that you would use your word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, to convict us, to challenge us, and to motivate us to be like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. We love you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So let's set this text up by giving you a little bit of context. So in this passage, I'm picturing James almost as like an Old Testament prophet, He's taking on the mantle of an Old Testament prophet and he is condemning the rich for their greed and for their mistreatment of the poor. And now who is he talking about when he says, come now, you rich? Well, I think he's already mentioned them in this letter in James chapter two, when he's talking about the sin of partiality in James two, six and seven, he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you off into court? So what he has in mind here, I believe, are wealthy unbelievers who are persecuting the church and they are using their wealth to do so. And so I don't think this passage is addressed directly to the people in the church, but it is a condemnation of the rich people who are oppressing the church. And so when the church hears this, they will be encouraged by knowing that judgment is coming and God will hold their persecutors accountable. And now I wanna be quick, having said all of that, To say, if in your mind you're thinking, well, one, I'm not rich, and two, I'm not an unbeliever, so I guess I'm off the hook. This passage doesn't apply to me today. No, 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 no. 
The word of God is living and active. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. This text teaches us several important and vital principles about how we should use our money as Christians. So I believe we have a lot to learn here. So I believe that we get four dangers of wealth shown to us in James chapter five, one through six. The first is the danger of hoarding wealth. We see that in verses one through three, hoarding wealth. Let's look at verse one together. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Sheesh, James, weep, howl. That's a great way to start a sermon. Just go ahead and tell them, just start weeping now. This is a harsh text. This is a prophetic denunciation. And I noticed as you read this text, there's no offer of salvation. In this whole text, it is a declaration of judgment. And now, as I've already mentioned with the Old Testament prophets, oftentimes that is implied. If a person would repent, then God would show grace. Think Jonah, for example. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. They repent. God relented of the disaster he was going to bring. So that is implied. But in this text, it is a warning of impending judgment because of their greed and their mistreatment of the poor. James reminds me of Amos because that's a theme that keeps coming up in the prophet Amos, for example. Amos 8 verses 4 through 6 say, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. This is what James is doing here. And now in verses two and three, he goes on to talk about the danger of hoarding wealth. He says, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. He talks about their money, their gold and silver, and their stuff, their clothing, their garments, the symbols of their wealth. And notice what he's saying about it. He says, they've corroded. They've rusted. They're getting eaten by bugs. He's talking here about the transience of wealth. He's saying, why would you hoard wealth and collect material possessions in this life as if that's the point of your life when it's already going bad? It's already becoming obsolete. So let's apply this to our day. That new iPhone you just got, where's that thing gonna be in a year or two? I mean, they come out with a new one every year. It's already becoming obsolete. You know, they're probably on like iPhone 67 or something by now. Like they keep coming out. And yet we always think, I gotta get the new one. You get it a year later. Oh, but now I really gotta get the new one. What about your new car? Where's that thing gonna be in 20 years? 30 years, 50 years. You see what I'm saying? All of the stuff that we get, almost as soon as we get it, begins to deteriorate. Let me just have a really cheerful thought to start off your Sunday morning. Your most prized possessions will one day be in a thrift store a yard sale, or a landfill. Good morning. <laughs> it's true. That's why it's so foolish, according to James, to hoard wealth in this life, especially because this life is not all there is. James says, you have stored up treasure in the last days. What is he talking about by the last days? Well, keep in mind, James is writing like 45 AD, and he's saying it's the last days. 
Oftentimes in scripture, the last days does not just refer to the last few years of human history before Jesus comes back, but rather it refers to the entire time period between the first and second coming of Christ. In Hebrews, it says, but in these last days, God has spoken through his son. So the last days refers to this age in between the comings of Jesus. So here's what he's saying. You are laying up treasure in this life only and you're neglecting eternity. That's the opposite of what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, don't make all of your investment in this life only when eternity is coming. Don't just lay up treasure in the last days. Lay up treasure in heaven. Church, let me ask you that question this morning. Where is your treasure? Where are you investing your treasure that God has stewarded to you today? Is your life focused on getting more and bigger and shinier and whatever else it might be in this life only? Or is your focus investing in eternity? Guys, listen, I'm the furthest thing from like a financial guru, but even I know that investing all of your money in this life only is a horrible investment. Let me illustrate it this way. Only living for the last days and not living for eternity would be like spending your life savings to get the nicest room on the Titanic. This world is a sinking ship. It's going down. We don't get much time here, but eternity is a long time. Why on earth would we invest everything in the toys of this life and forget about eternity? I think that this is really at the heart of why we misuse money, because we don't have an eternal perspective, because we forget that this whole life is like a mist that vanishes at dawn, as James says. We need to be eternally minded with the way that we use our money so the first issue is hoarding wealth. The second danger is unjust gain. Look at verse four with me. He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So let me set this up in its cultural context for you. These rich people, these wealthy landowners would have hired workers to come and work out in their fields. And it was customary in these days to pay the laborer at the end of the day. You didn't get the bi-weekly direct deposit. You didn't have a checking account. You didn't have a credit card. So if you didn't get paid at the end of the day, guess what? You didn't eat. You didn't have money to go and buy food. You remember the story that Jesus told, the parable of the landowner, how at the end of the day, he goes out throughout the day hiring workers and he gives them each a denarius, which would have been a day's wage. So withholding that from your workers at the end of the day would have been tantamount to letting them starve. This was an explicit breach of God's law in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 24 says, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. 
This text says that they cry out and the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord who commands the armies of heaven, he will hear. That's a not so subtle threat. Tell him, you guys think you might get away with it. You think you're wealthy, you have influence in the society so you can get away with not paying your workers. He's saying, but God sees and God will avenge. What does this teach us this morning, church? It means that we need to be people of integrity with the way that we use our money as Christians. We need to be honest. We refuse to pursue unjust gain. That means we don't steal. It means we don't cheat on our taxes. It means in all of our business dealings, we are perfectly honest and fair. We're not trying to rip people off. We're not trying to get something for nothing, but we're honest. It means that we work hard for a living. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The principle here is we need to be people of integrity with how we earn and how we spend our money because God is watching. So one danger is the temptation toward unjust gain. The next is the temptation toward self-indulgence. Verse five says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In other words, you guys are living it up. You're partying while you can't even pay your workers. And you think, well, this is mine. I just get to enjoy it. But what the scripture says is you think you're living it up. But in reality, all you're doing is fattening yourself for the day of slaughter. As it says in Romans 2, you are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And I believe out of the four, this one is probably the most directly applicable in our culture today because we live in an extremely self-indulgent society today. I mean, think about it. There are things that we call needs that didn't exist like 100 years ago. And here's the funny thing. We can often look at this text as Christians and say, because I'm not rich, this must not apply to me. But the reality is, if you're like lower middle class in our culture today, you have luxuries that the rich people that James is condemning hadn't even dreamed of yet. Like air conditioning, indoor plumbing, running water, health insurance. Like you guys get the point. The reality is, Self-indulgence is something that we have to be so careful about. And I wanna be clear here. There's a difference in self-indulgent lifestyle and enjoying the blessings that God has given us. There's nothing wrong with air conditioning, right? Praise the Lord, especially this last week for air conditioning, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a blessing from God to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with a bowl of ice cream. There's nothing wrong with a big old TV to watch football on, asking for a friend. Right? There's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings that the Lord gives us. There's something wrong with living a self-indulgent lifestyle while other people starve. And here's the other issue with self-indulgence. It doesn't work. I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't work. We think if I can just get blank, I'll be happy. If I can just get that bigger house. I can just get that nicer car. I can just go on that nicer vacation. I can just get that bigger TV, whatever it is. I think that that thing will finally satisfy my soul. But church, here's the reality. We're made in the image of God. Part of what that means is we have an eternal soul and the purpose of our existence is to glorify and enjoy God forever. 
You can't fill that void with iPhones. You can't fill that void with TVs. No one or nothing can satisfy our souls but Jesus. And when we try to live our lives on this treadmill of always thinking that next thing is going to bring me satisfaction in life, it's not going to work. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the richest man in ancient history. Listen to the Bill Gates of like the 10th century BC, Solomon. That was a guy who really had it all. He could have whatever he wanted. And at the end of his life, what did he say about it? Ecclesiastes chapter two. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. Verse four, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the Son of Man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Let's pause there for a minute. Solomon's got it made, right? He's living the American dream. He's got everything he could ever want. He must be so happy and fulfilled in life, right? Let's look at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Hold on a minute. You're telling me that the guy who could have anything he wanted came to the end of his life and said it was all worthless? Yeah. Because he figured out that stuff cannot satisfy our souls. And that is the danger of self-indulgence. That is the danger of a self-indulgent lifestyle. It is the temptation to trust in wealth as our source of satisfaction. Instead of coming to Christ, the only treasure who can ever eternally satisfy our souls. But there's one more danger in this text. That's the danger of condemning others. Verse six says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So again, remembering in chapter two of James where it says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? I think they're probably using the court system here to oppress and even sometimes have put to death the righteous people in order to preserve their hoarding of wealth and their self-indulgent lifestyle. This is the final step in the ugly cycle of greed. This is the end of the road if you keep going down the path of greed. A willingness to condemn and even murder in order to preserve what you have, in order to get more stuff. We see an example of that in 1 Kings 21. You guys know the story of Naboth's vineyard in the Old Testament, how King Ahab wanted to get this vineyard. It belonged to a guy named Naboth. He asked for it. Naboth says, I'm sorry. This is my family's inheritance. I can't give this to you. So Ahab and Jezebel come up with a plan. They plant two false witnesses to make false accusations against Naboth and have him put to death so that they can go and take control of the vineyard. 
that's probably similar to what's happening here. There's a willingness to condemn others and harm others and even kill to get what you want. Church, that is a temptation that we must avoid. We can't be willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead in business, for example. We often hear that business is cutthroat. Not for Christians, it's not. We can't be willing to push others down to get ahead, to criticize another coworker so that I can get that promotion instead of them. We have to be people who care more about people than we do about profits. That we show love and mercy and we seek to raise people up, not step over them on the way to get what we want. This is a way that we love others as ourselves. So we've seen, according to James chapter five, the four dangers of wealth, the four ways that wealth can be abused. So now I'd like to kind of pivot here and begin to talk about, well, okay, as Christians, what does it look like for us to have a biblical perspective on how we use our money? How can we use our money in a way that honors the Lord? Let me give you three things, three pillars in what a biblical perspective of money looks like for Christians. The first is that we need to beware of the temptations of wealth. We've gotta be careful about the temptations that wealth brings. Remember, money is not bad, but money is very dangerous. Jesus himself said that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's not because of his riches. That's because of the temptations that riches bring to sin. We must be careful of the temptation to trust in wealth as our source of satisfaction. Think about the rich young ruler. What kept the rich young ruler from coming to Jesus? That he was wealthy and he loved his possessions. He was unwilling to let them go and come to Jesus. This is what scripture calls the love of money. Now there's one verse in 1 Timothy that's often misquoted. People often say money is the root of all evil. That's actually not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is the love of money? It is trusting in money. It is making money my source of delight and satisfaction and the things that I believe money can do for me. We must be so careful as Christians not to love money. The question is, do you have money or does money have you? Is it consuming you? We have to avoid the temptation to prioritize this life over the next to store up treasure in the last days instead of storing up treasure in heaven. Let me ask you this thought experiment. If someone were to have never met you, never have had a conversation with you, they never saw your Facebook page, they don't know nothing about you except they get access to your bank statements for the last year and to your credit card statements, basically however you spent your money in the last year, would they be able to tell that you were a Christian? Would there be something noticeably different about the way that you spend your money versus the way that the world spends their money? And the reality is, church, there ought to be. It ought to be different. We ought to be living not just to accumulate more and more and more in this life, but we are living for eternity. We are living with an eternal perspective. We have to guard against the temptation toward hoarding our wealth. Kevin DeYoung put it this way, are you a vault or are you a vessel? A vault exists to collect and to store away and lock up our treasure and maybe go look at it once in a while. But a vessel exists to be poured into so that it can be poured back out. God does not bless you so that you can lock it away and stare at it until the moths get to it. 
God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. God pours into you so that you can be poured out sacrificially to love and to serve other people. Final temptation, church. We've got to beware the temptation to sin, either to keep or to gain wealth, whether that be dishonesty or whether that be hurting others to get ahead. But as Christians, our desire to honor God must supersede our desire to get more money, our desire to get more stuff. So church, these are temptations that we must be aware of as Christians. And let's repent of the ways that these have been evident in our lives. And now we beware the temptations of wealth, but then there's two things that we need to pursue as followers of Jesus. The first is this, we pursue wise stewardship. We pursue wise stewardship. Now I use that word stewardship very carefully. It's an important word because what is a steward? Well, a steward doesn't own something but he takes care of something and uses something on behalf of another. The reality is, y'all, God made everything and therefore God owns everything and that includes your money. So in one sense, you don't own $1. I don't own $1, it's all God's. We do not own our money, we are stewarding God's money. And just as we should be more careful when we're using something that belongs to someone else, In the same way, we need to be very careful with how we use our money because it's God's money. He has given it to us to be good stewards. So let me ask you the question this morning. As God's steward, how are you using his money for his glory? Remember the parable of the talents. To the one man, he gave 10. To the one man, he gave five. To the one man, he gave one. To those whom he gave 10 and five, they multiplied their talents. But to the man who gave one, he just went and buried it in the backyard. And God held him accountable for that, saying, I stewarded this to you. You were supposed to use this for my glory. How are you stewarding God's money for God's glory? Let me apply this in one really practical way, and that's debt. We live in a society where debt has become the new norm. Uh, I did some research. Nearly half of Americans have a significant amount of credit card debt. And I'm not here this morning to go full Dave Ramsey or anything. You know, don't worry, though, that would be helpful. But the reality is, it's not not here saying it's a sin to have a credit card or it's wrong to have a car payment or student loans or anything like that. But here's what I am saying, that going into excessive debt, buying things that we don't need is bad stewardship. It is bad use of God's resources. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Proverbs. Proverbs 22, seven, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Debt is enslaving to us. It holds us back from being able to use God's resources for his good. I mean, remember back to Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him do honest work with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Being in excessive debt holds us back from being able to be generous. So let me encourage you guys, as much as you are able, pursue wise stewardship. Be responsible with our budgets in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. So we pursue wise stewardship. And next, and finally, we pursue radical generosity as Christians. This is the ultimate antidote to the dangers of wealth. Instead of greed, we are generous. Instead of taking and indulging, we give and we serve. And why do we do that? As Christians, why do we give? I'll give you a hint, it starts with a J. 
Jesus. Joy too. Yes, joy too. But Jesus, that's always the answer. Just a hint. I'm going to ask you again next week. The answer is always Jesus. We give because God has given to us, because he has given us his most precious gift, because God was incredibly generous with us. You know, in the two chapters in the Bible that are the most important and powerful passages on giving in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, right in the middle, what is the reason, the motivation that Paul gives us to give? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He's saying, though Jesus was the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he came to this earth and he became poor, meaning he took on humanity and he died on the cross in our place, paying the debt that we owed to God so that in Christ, we become rich. Not in this life. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This is the idea that we become heirs with Christ, We become children of God in eternity, that God might show us, as Ephesians says, the immeasurable riches of his grace for all eternity. Jesus was so generous with us in offering us salvation. And here's the deal. When our hearts grasp that, when our hearts have been transformed by the gospel, we no longer have to be generous. We want to be generous our hearts are changed so that we want to bless and serve other people. We no longer want to be vaults who collect, but vessels who pour out for the good of others, for the good of the gospel. So let me give you some practical ways that you can pursue radical generosity. The first is be generous with others. Be generous with others. Develop a lifestyle that is open-handed when you see someone else that is in need. Again, I've quoted it several times now, but Ephesians 4.28, right? That's part of the reason we work hard so that we have something set aside to share with those who are in need. Just imagine for one moment if we worked that into our budgets. What if we literally set aside money every single week just in case a friend, a family member, a brother or sister in Christ was struggling, we'd be in a position to help them. Wouldn't that be awesome? And listen, this is something that happens organically in small groups could be here all day and I could tell you stories about how small group members have taken care of one another when something bad happens. That's what we're here for in the body of Christ. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to love and serve each other when these things happen. So let me encourage you to look for opportunities to be generous. So be generous with others. And second, be generous with God by being generous to the local church. Scripture teaches us to be generous to our local church. And now... I hope you've noticed that this is a sermon on money and I'm 35 minutes in and I haven't used the T word yet. Y'all know what the T word is, right? Tithing. Right, well, I'm about to use the T word. Listen, y'all, we believe at Coastal that a great starting point of generosity in our lives is a commitment to give a tithe to the local church. That means giving 10% of our income to the local church. And listen, it's not some legalistic requirement, some box that we check because we have to to be a good Christian. It's not a way to twist God's arm into blessing us. But one, it's so that we get to experience the joy of generosity. Scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It says God loves a cheerful giver so that we get to experience that joy in our lives 
And it's a way to say, God, I love you. I support what you're doing through the gospel going forward. And I want to support my local church. It's also an expression of faith in God. Because listen, there are times in our lives, especially for you Christians who are here and you've been tithing for a long time, there are seasons where it's a lot harder to put that tithe check in. There are seasons where you're like, I I don't know if I can even make ends meet. And we watch God bless and we watch God move. I could be here all day telling you stories. But the reality is, church, we are called to be generous with the local church. So let me ask you that question this morning. Are you faithfully giving to the Lord as an act of worship? As we say at offering time every week, are you tithing? And listen, I am not stupid I am fully aware that there are a wide range of incomes in this room, of life situations in this room. I know for some of you in this room, giving a tithe would be a massive sacrifice. It'd be incredibly difficult. It would be a huge step of faith. I'm aware of that. And I believe if you would do that, I believe the Lord would bless you in that. But listen, I know there are some others of you in this room, and if I could be so bold, There are others, maybe God has blessed you to such an extent that maybe tithing would be cheap. The point is not equal giving. The point is not a dollar amount. The point is equal sacrifice. The point is that we are cheerfully, lovingly, sacrificially giving to the Lord and giving to the local church for the joy of generosity as an expression of our faith and to support the gospel going forward. And let me give you one more specific way that this is a specific application for Coastal Gloucester. We are building a building. Buildings cost money. It's like Economics 101 there for you. We're building a building. This building is very expensive. We set the budget for this building back in 2019. Uh, If you guys keep up with the news, some stuff has happened since 2019. Um, And so this building is gonna be a lot more expensive than we thought, namely about a million dollars more expensive than we thought. And so we are moving forward in faith, believing that this is what the Lord has for us. And we're building this building. You ride by Hickory Fork Road, you see guys out there all the time. And we're really excited to see the progress and how they're working on this. And listen, I wanted to let you guys know that back in spring of 2021, we had a fundraiser and you guys absolutely knocked it out of the park. We exceeded our goal in that fundraiser and we celebrated how good God is and how generous and faithful you all were to give. And I'm so thankful. But I also wanted to take the opportunity in a sermon on money this morning, just to put this on your radar, that it is our intention to do another fundraiser here at Coastal Gloucester in the coming months. Uh, There are some of you who gave generously toward that fundraiser last year. And again, we are so incredibly grateful. But I'd like to ask you to begin now thinking and praying about if the Lord would have you give another time toward that fundraiser. There are others in this room who praise God we've grown a lot since spring of 2021. We've got a lot of new faces here and you weren't able to be a part of the first fundraiser. I'd also like you to prayerfully consider if God would have you give toward this new building. I don't have any dollar amounts. I don't have any particular ask for you this morning. I hope to have that in the coming weeks, but I just wanted to put this on your radar so that you would begin praying about that along with me. Guys, we believe so strongly in this campus We believe so strongly in the mission and vision of Coastal that we develop authentic followers of Christ by connecting, growing, and serving. And we wanna see that explode across Gloucester and across the peninsula. We wanna see that vision come to pass. 
And we believe that God wants to do that and he wants to use our generosity in some small way to accomplish that. So be in prayer about that. Well, as the worship team comes now, I'd like us now to close with one final thought from scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter six. James five is a harsh condemnation of those who were rich in this age. 1 Timothy chapter six is a bit of a counterbalance because it's now saying, this is what you should do. Those of you who have material possessions, this is what you should do instead. So this is a good reminder for us as we close this morning. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Coastal Gloucester, let's store up the right kind of treasure this morning. Let's store up treasure in heaven and stop hoarding treasure here in the last days. Let's go forward together as wise and as generous stewards of what God has given us. And listen, I wanna say this before we close. This sermon is not a kick in the pants asking us to do something. I see this as more of a way to go because you guys are already doing this. And let's keep going because you guys are incredibly generous. You guys are. And I am so, so, so overwhelmed and thankful for you all. The point of this sermon is to say thank you for your generosity and let's continue. Let's guard against the temptations of wealth and let's continue in that. And it is truly a blessing from the Lord to get to be your pastor. So thank you guys. And let's close with a word of prayer and we'll go out singing. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you were so generous with us in sending your only son, giving him to us as our most precious gift. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of that, you would work in our hearts to make us generous toward you and toward others. Guard our hearts against the temptations that wealth brings, Father, but instead, make us wise, make us generous. God, we love you. Be with us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and go out singing this morning.